I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora, welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. I'm Ross Carl, and we've had an All Blacks win, which is a big All Blacks win. A return to form from like Four weeks ago. So who knows what this All Blacks team is? They're either brilliant or they're not. Who knows? Joined by James Parsons, obviously Blues player. And on the big screen, through the wonders of modern technology, Bryn Hall oh, coming out of the Māori All Blacks camp. How are you, Bryn? G'day, lads. No, it's been good, mate. I um, have, lost, have lost my voice a little bit. We do um, quite a few huckers here, so um, getting the old throat had a bit of a... Um, Bit of a run through at the moment, but no, look, it's always great to come in Molly's camp. We've um, we've assembled pretty early on, we assembled on the Saturday, and um, the boys have played the finals for Hawks Bay and um, in that Auckland game as well. They've assembled, so no, it's always good getting into camp, mate. And Rotorua always has a nice aroma as well, so it's always good to be back to our roots, mate, and uh, and smelling the, smelling the salt. So no, good to be back, mate. So yeah, that's right, Rotorua. Um, strepsils, what do you use to get that throat right for a good hacker? Nah, mate, you've, you've just got to learn, really, as, um, as Hunger Lee Messi would say, Bruno, you um, didn't go from the, from the core of your stomach, you went from, uh, from, your, from your throat. So we're getting a few lessons from Liam, and hopefully the voice comes back for our, um, our haka at the end of the week. The koro. <laughs> Liam Messi. Yeah, mate, the koro. I'm actually the koro as well. I'm the, I'm, the, um, I'm the koro of the backs. I think the, back, the average age in our back line is about 22. So, yeah, bring that average up real nicely. <laughs> what the twenty six? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So old. <laughs> Twenty eight. She's old. She's. I'm a dinosaur. I'm a dinosaur on this team. <laughs> it was a big weekend, wasn't it? It was, was huge. It was a massive weekend for the All Blacks. They had so much to do um, to improve, and boy, they made a big change. And the big change, probably mostly, was in the kicking game. Let's start with you on this, Bryn, as a man who you know does a lot of kicking. What did you make of it? So many of their kicks were attacking. Yeah, they were, and they were different kind of attacking kicks. We have um, we've previously talked around, um, you know, their crossfield kicks, and um, we've talked about the contestable game. Look, they had twenty eight kicks, um, but the biggest thing they actually had eleven attacking kicks. The most the most kicks, their former kicks, were actually attacking kicks. And I guess what I liked around it is it changed just a little bit. I don't know, Jim, if you saw, but they wanted to get it in the middle of the field, and sometimes I'd hit that. The three pod hit out the back to Richie and then or Bodie as well and just put little kicks in behind as well. Um just into that space and then the old Gary Owen, you know, the old Gary Owen inside the twenty two and, and putting kicks up to so I guess just put um, Argentina into a vice. So no look I thought they made um massive shifts and 
I think you got that kind of idea around Fozzie and their messaging around they they had a plan around how they were going to play and I mean I thought they were um, I thought they did it pretty well and I think if you're if you're kind of old school and I saw some of the comments and that kind of stuff thinking why we're kicking too much ball we're kicking too much ball away but for me you know, we've talked about previously on the show around um, the defence and how good um, the Argentinian defence is. You know, that was a great way how we how we kind of stifled that and you know, put them under pressure. So, um, you know, we won possession, we won territory, and I think it came back to a lot of the attacking kicks and I guess the, the structures and the plans that they had in place um, that they didn't have previously probably two weeks ago. Well, for me, I think we spoke last week about the chess match, and I said it was going to take 80 minutes to, to really break them down, and, and that was part of, we, we said we needed to be kicked early, we needed to make their defence think and adjust so that it would open up opportunities late in the game, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, with those kicks, yes, they kicked a lot of attacking kicks, but they actually kicked 75% last time uh, against Argentina of attacking kicks, this time 71%, but the difference is, they only kicked 16 times versus 28 this time. So there was a definite shift in how many kicks they want to do, especially early in the game. And you mentioned uh, down the middle of the park or just in behind. That was purely based, I think, because their nine is in the line defensively. And that's where the space was rather than, you know, and some of them, they weren't always accurate, but they got the job done in the sense that, you know, Argentina had to backtrack. So physically fatiguing, and then it made them think and it slowed that line speed down, which allowed them to sort of build their game. And then from there, I think the biggest part of their game plan that was most effective was their game line success in their carries. 56% compared to 20-odd percent uh, last time, and that's through 146 carries. So that's a lot, uh, three metres per carry. And then you've got your big dogs leading the way. You've got Artie with 14, Barrett with 12, Akira with 10, Kane the skip with nine, and Whitelock with eight. And, and those are your big sort of ball carrying, you know, and, and your leaders saying, this is follow me. And then what that led to is a controlled discipline. So it was a 14-7 uh, uh, penalty count, so double to Argentina. And we spoke about it the last time when they lost to Argentina, it was a lack of incorrect entry because they weren't winning that game line carry success. So this time they've got that 56%. You know, some guys like Akira at 80%. So it's an easy clean because you're already over the advantage line. They're having a backtrack. You can get those deep cleans. So then again, defensively, they're going to have to step back another metre, and that just slows their line speed again. Ball up with Aaron and, and Bodie and uh, Richie, and, and that was where the game was won, but through that 80-minute chess match and the manipulation they did and the work they did and the energy they sat, because you have to give credit to Argentina, the way they held on that first 40, I don't know how they did it. You know, defensively, they were just holding on, and to go in 10-0, you're like, that's okay, but that was always going to pay dividends late, and that was through skill execution errors, uh, through the defence pressure, from Rico and Will Jordan, and then maybe a little fluky intercept, and then obviously the way they finished in the 83rd minute was just tiring bodies against fresh bodies that hadn't had to do the amount of tackles that Argy had. It seems quite simple, doesn't it? You know, kick with purpose and run with purpose. It, it does, but it takes a lot of discipline to stick to it, and and they would have learned a lot from the first time they've played, and, and the discipline to go, right, this is the game plan we're going in with, and they just went with it. And yes, there's been some feedback. Why are we kicking so much? But that's the reason we're kicking so much, to manipulate the defence, because what the defence shows you gives you the opportunities to score tries. And those tries came eventually. And then the biggest difference, 100% at line-out, we got a try, set-piece try um, off uh, a line-out. We ran it 100%, 16 line-outs. 
We ran 100% scrums, and we talked about the importance last week of taking a weapon away from Argentina, and we got those quick hooks, and Artie was out. Mm. He was doing exactly what we spoke about Hoskins, in, in, you know, close to the line or further out, and he was, he was doing the exact same, and I thought that was just brilliant to see because they're like, right, we're going to take that away from you, and then that frustrated the Argentines, and then they ran at 60% at scrum time because we'd conserved energy when it was on our ball, and then we attacked them on theirs. So it was just all round a great presence and set up um, by the Ford pack providing a platform and then an execution of the game plan by the back. So numbers one to 23, and you saw how much it meant to them when Paddy went over the line. You saw the celebration from the bench and everyone and what it meant to the coaching group. So they'd built to that week, they'd led to that week, and they just delivered on the night. Mm. A couple of things on that. One, what Bryn talked about, the old school guys not quite understanding. You know, the defensive lines are so solidly set. Do people need to let go of the romantic notion of free-flowing rugby now? Do they just need to understand that in order to get that, you've got to put in 60-odd minutes of pressure and, and be creative in the way you approach your attack? Oh, absolutely. I just think it's a test match. It's called a test match. Mm. So, yes, uh, I think at Mitre 10 Cup level and even sometimes at Super, Cup, uh, super Rugby level, um, you know, it can be free-flowing because it's not that test match intensity, but a test match is a test match, and if you don't respect it and you don't work out that it's an art and it, and it is the, it's chess, it's a chess match, not checkers, and that's the biggest difference. It takes a lot of thought, a lot of consideration, you know, Monday to Friday to get the performance right and the game plan that you want, but then the discipline, we spoke about England last week, and their discipline to stick to their game plan, and they'll just keep doing You know it's coming, but even if you, you do, similar with the Crusaders, you know what's coming, but they're just mm. going to do it, and they back that they can execute it. Mm. Bryn, how long has this been in the making, the, the way that modern rugby approaches its attack structure, particularly in the way that defences are shaped through kicking games? Look, I think it's, it's been there for a while. Um, I think, you know, you look, you, you look, you go back to probably the 2000 and, um, 2007 World Cup when South Africa won. Um, it was predominantly you know, a kicking-based kicking game, and then I think it kind of went full circle around the All Blacks and the evolution of... Um, our, our forwards been able to be ball players, and so we were probably a little bit better in in that. So we were able to play for about, you know, I think about to that 2011, 2015 World Cup. You know, we were pretty dominant around our um, skill execution, and then I think it's gone full circle again. You know, the likes of you, know, you think about England, the British and Irish Lions, Ireland. You know, and their defensive structures have just um, have just become a lot better. So I guess the kicking and understanding of how you can implement your kicking game and to stifle teams, to put them under pressure. Um, it's probably been around, I'd probably say for the last, you know, I'd probably say the last two, three years, you look at the World Cup semi-final and final, you know, you look at the way, you know, their kicking games have been and how much that final between South Africa and um, England, you know, you'd have, you'd have the clerk pretty much running the game when it came to game management and, and kicking the ball. And on the other side, you know, you had um, ben, ben Youngs doing the exact same thing. So I think it's been around for a while, especially up in the Northern Hemisphere, but I think for us in New Zealand, we find it hard because we're such an attacking brand of rugby that we play, but um, to play against those teams that have great de defensive structures, you've just got to implement uh, the game that we saw on the weekend, you know, trying to use attacking kicks around, um, putting the ball back um, into, the, into the deep enemy territory and then being able to back your defence and get your penalties and then go to set pace. Then again, the contestable game, you know, we've got a great um, halfback that can do that, you know, Nuggie's got a great box kick. You know, so when you've got a guy like that that can, can implement a, a game plan that, um, that you saw on the weekend and probably um, we're moving towards, but I guess having a balance of where we can still run our attack, um, I think it's been there for a while, but I think they're transitioning for the, for the punter, for the casual punter from New Zealand, 
um, and understanding that, look, this is what happens when you play against a good defensive team. Chipper alluded to it when it, came, when it comes to a test, it's a test match. And these are the certain things you have to do to, to, to break them down for them when we can have our, um, our moments of, of counter-attack, you know, with the likes of Will getting a couple of tries and, you know, Rico Brink coming on and, and having that attack and experience probably late in the second half. For me on that as well, Brendan, we need to understand we finished with 70% territory, 70% possession. So those kicks are to get the ball back. Mm. So it's it, that's why we say they're attacking kicks, is they're to put skills under pressure to get the ball back, to have the ball. So that's what rugby's about, is having the ball. It's not like we're just kicking, which I would say in the first test when we lost, we kicked a little bit aimlessly. We didn't find touch and we kicked long and, and down their throats and gave them time to come back and, and set themselves. Whereas this this test match, we it was with purpose and with accuracy for the most point, but it's not just the kicking that was different. I'd like to allude to Coles' try, Mwanga's bridge pass. That's another um, you know, aspect of attack where you can get outside the rush D. Argentina rushed up, and he just he didn't even really look. He just caught it and just flung it because he knew someone was there, and Colsey goes over for an easy try where it's not just the kicking, it's about, and it's about manipulating and, and making those guys think, oh, could the kick come? And then they're like, okay, I'm going to commit. And then... Moonga's got the skill set and the ability that we've seen at Super Rugby level, but now at Test match level, to just catch and give, and it's an easy try. Uh, you mentioned Will Jordan. Um, so I think with that as well, Jim, you know, you talked about it before as well. You know, the game line success. We yeah. talked about that previously. Last time we played them, um, we probably just didn't get that. You know, the likes of their four pack were probably um, dominating the collisions, and you know, therefore Nuggy, you know, wasn't able to get the ball out. It was slow ball. Got their, their defensive line got set. So. Now, I think there's been a there's a massive must have been a massive um, mindset shift around moving bodies, winning the race. It's Akira Yuani. Yeah. I mean, you are the trumpeting leader of the Akira Yuani fan club. Oh yeah. Um, you must have been stoked. Oh mate, I was wrapped, but not surprised. Um, I've been trumpeting because I believe in what he's done this year for us, but also the amount of hard work he's been putting in behind the scenes for his opportunity. We saw it briefly against the Wallabies. But man, he was a force, um, and and quite frankly, the the growth in his game around his set piece work, um, you know, his lineout ability, stealing lineouts, taking lineouts, that this just wasn't part of Aki's game, you know, two years ago, and now he's doing it at Test match level against you know a pretty formidable defensive lineout, and then you know his his carry uh, his carry you know accuracy, but also to get over the game line. We spoke about fifty six percent being great for. You know, the All Blacks as a team, but 80% for him as an individual. He's had the seven line-out takes, his work to get turnovers, two turnovers, one, nine out of ten tackles, tackling at 90%. But the biggest thing is that presence. And there was a moment there where Krema tried to uh, push um, Aaron, and, and he just stepped forward. And there was no dumb pushing or shoving. It was him stepping forward. He got right in his face. He says, I'm here. And, and straight away, the situation was done. And that's what you want from your six. You know, if it's not your six, you know, Jared Hoyata made a career out of protecting nines and tens. That's why they're all his best friends. But you need that, you need that enforcer. And he, he didn't do anything silly, but he let Argentina know that we're not going to be pushed around. I'm not going to give away a penalty, but I'm here. And he got right in. And I just thought that was a massive moment. I thought it was, it was just a real special moment for him and his all-black career and where he can go to as that all-black six enforcer. Mm. Bryn, for you guys, you obviously do a lot of research on Akira, you know, when you're going to play him. What, have, have you, has that changed over the last couple of years when, when the teams looked at Akira and the threats that he provides as, as a crusader? 
Oh, look, Matt, we've, we've talked about it a lot in the likes of Hoskins as well. Um, having that ability to play off the back of the scrum, um, it's such a weapon. And, and look, every time we've played Aki or Hoskins, um, you know, we've had that much preview around scrums around, you know, close to the line or even exit kind of areas and how much of a, how much of a weapon they pose. And the thing that I really enjoyed about Aki is, you know, you know we've talked around um, his, his improvement and, and his line-outs, you know. He had the most, he had the most line-out wins as, a, as an all-black. You know, so the guy gets the growth um, of being a line-out option, a genuine line-out option. And, um, you know, we look, you look at back the likes of Loms, you know, Jerome, when he was playing as well, he was, you know, great around the line-out options as well. And so, you know, Aki, the great thing that I've really enjoyed about Aki is, um, you know, just his maturity and his growth. You know, I look at last year when he was in the Maldives camp, um, he had a different, complete different mindset to where he is now. And I think um, being back in that Blues environment, Jopin, um, I guess having Hoskins there as well to to have that pressure and um, to have someone there that he can that I heard that you know he, he guided around and um, was a great teammate to to Hoskins. Um, look, mate, I think um, this is going to be a start of a of a hell of a um, little spurt for Aki. And um, look, mate, you know I had him as my had him as my man of the match. And um, you know some of the, you've all alluded to some of those stats, but you know seven lineout ones, which was first for the All Blacks, had ten carries, which was third. His tackles were ninety percent. He was ten tackles. He was the most in the All Blacks, and he had two turnovers as well. You know, so mate, if you're talking about <laughs> coming, mate, you listen to when I talk. Yeah, yeah. Allowed, <laughs> and look, and look, mate, it's it's well deserved. You know, you've been on about it for a very long time, Jim. You've been you've been bloody advocate, been a massive advocate for him. And you know, look, if he can have stats and, and play at that kind of um, standard, then look, mate, that number six jersey, it's going to look um, it's going to look pretty good on him. You have to say he's definitely earned his All Blacks squad spot next year. He probably maybe has earned the first test at six next year, if you look at that. I think the biggest shift that he's made is he, he won't take it for granted and he mm. won't think like that. Um, you know, I've already seen on his Instagram, he's already on the Watt bike, you know, in his, in his hotel room and in, in the quarantine. You know, that's, that's his mindset. It's about keeping fit and now working towards a blue season. So I don't think it's about... Um, he's earned that. He, you're going to. I think every player is going to have to earn their, their spot again, um, and that's through the performance. So you know, like Frizzell was pretty clean in the Bledisloe's as well here in here in um, New Zealand, and 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 when he went over there and he got rested a bit, and then you know Aki took his moment. So now there's great competition um, in that space, and I think the most important thing is it's if they can perform for their clubs, and that's what excites me of all these. Blues players can come and perform for the Blues and it gives us uh, a, a great opportunity to achieve, but also for all the other players going back to their franchises, I don't think it is about thinking, oh, I'm, I'm there, because mm. that's when you'll fall over, personally. We also saw Will Jordan um, get his little coming out moment in an all-black jersey. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people would have been hoping for a little bit more of this. He, he got an injury partway through the competition. But wing fullback is a place where you've got that Midas touch for a period of time. And this year, he has been sensational. Where he turns up, the ball turns up. You know, tries happen, things happen. Do we wait too long, Bryn, to see Will Jordan um, get serious game time considering the form that he showed in Super Rugby as a fullback wing option off the bench? Um, <clears throat> I guess you could, yes and no, but I think... The biggest thing for Will is that he's actually, you know, he's been hungry. You know, he, he, when he got his opportunity, you know, he came into the environment, you know, um, it was his first time being in the environment. Um, and look, you had guys that were playing well as well. You had Geordie, I um, think he was there and had Bodie as well. So, you know, he had to take his time. And 
I guess the biggest thing around that is that, you know, we've talked around this consistently around uh, boiling and being able to really stir and uh, when you do get the opportunity, um, you're hungry and, and look, Will has a, an unbelievable ability to, to score tries, um, to be in and around the ball and, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it at trainings, I've seen it in games and you know, that's one of his, his biggest weapons and um, one guy that I do want to um, probably give a little bit of pat on the back is, is David Harbilly around that. Um, you know, those two are, are great for us and I know the growth that David Harbilly's helped Will, um, you know, not just this year but the last last year as well and, you know, his growth and being able to get his game. So, um, yeah, look, I think, you know, it was, it was well overdue that, that performance from Will and, like I said, he's got an uncanny way of being able to score tries, man. He, he just pops up and, um, you know, people would say, you know, that's, it's Tinny and the intercept, but, or an example of that, but, you know, I've seen him do, do it consistently at trans because he's just got a knack for, um, for getting the ball. So it's one of his strengths and, um, you know, he'll be looking forward to, to next year and um, I think taking that experience and, uh, you know, scoring a couple of tries um, early on in his career. So he just reads opposition really well. He gets a feeling and he has a gist. I, I don't think it's opposition personally. I think it's the guys inside him. Like we spoke about Damien McKenzie when he closed off at Eden Park and he followed Anton Leonard-Brown and, and Cotterbury knocked it on when they had a four-on-one. And if you watch his first try, it's actually um, Rico and Jack Goodhue put a lot of um, line speed pressure. And sometimes wingers um, can hold and not bite in, but they, he, he, just, he trusted um, Reeks and Jack to do the business. And then he just he closed off with them, and because of that defensive pressure from the midfield of the All Blacks, the ball went to ground. He was in a position because he trusted his teammates and what decisions they'd made, and that created the opportunity. Whereas second one was probably a little bit more, you know, risk versus reward, and and he, and he got the reward. But I think he makes good defensive decisions in that wing spot, and he's done it a lot for the Crusaders as well by trusting the guy inside him and their defensive capabilities. And and I don't want to make it about Reeks, but I've I've spoken that you know people have questioned his his defence at centre, but what his speed brings to putting skill sets under pressure in that centre role defensively is is only going to be better and better for him once he gets the reading and and understanding of that role better. And he's doing a lot of work around that um, with Tano Umanga at the Blues, but. His speed, and Bryn, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but his speed off the line to close down and put pressure for that, that first Will Jordan try was, was probably not many centres can have that ability to just close down that amount of space that quickly. Yeah. I'm not sure people understand how fast yeah. he is. So he's what the fastest Blues player of all time, over ten and forty. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that. Like I'm pretty quick, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but no, he'd definitely be up there. Uh, but like it's just yeah. if you just watch it again, if you go back and watch and just watch, just watch Reeks, and you'll see how his and and Jack, to a point, um, I think it was Jack or Anton, one of the two, and um, it was, no, it was Jack, sorry, and then he just he just flies and it puts that skill and it just rushes that pass and that pass goes to ground and 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 then then they're off. Like don't get me wrong, like Will Jordan was exceptional off the bench. But it was a lot of hard work from others that created those opportunities. Not just saying reeks. I'm saying about the Ford pack and the work that had happened the first 60 minutes um, to create those opportunities. Yes, his name's in bright lights, but I always like to bring it back to the reason why they get those opportunities. Bryn? Around, around that, um, around that jib, I 100% agree. I think you know when you're seeing when you're seeing wingers get intercepts and and I guess uh, making that ball and all tackle. It just comes back to um, everybody in that in that back's position knowing exactly who they have. So I could probably imagine before that, before that, um, before those tries, you know, the understanding of exactly who they had and the position of and the people that they had 
and knew exactly who they had. So it gives us the likes of, you know, you look about Rico and his understanding and his speed. And when you can give a guy like that assurance and certainty, and certainty around who he has to go get, then he can use his speed and put his skill set under pressure like he did on the weekend. So the alignment of Jack, you know, Richie, um, Rico and then Will, the four of those guys, and then you've also got Bodie in the fullback, giving Will confidence to go hard and go get the ball or go for the ball. Um, it all works, it all works good. We've talked around pendulums, around, you know, defensively around the backfield or wingers being on strings and um, fullbacks being aligned, but it's no different to your front four and your backs. If you're clear and have an understanding of who you need to get, then you know you get the rewards of Will getting an intercept or Rico putting um, people under pressure. He's got a 14-15 role at the Crusaders. Uh, do you think that's it's good for him to be in a, in a dual role like that? Obviously, it gives him options. Um, but is there a position that you think he should should settle on at some point out of the two? <laughs> um, I think it's good to have that tag of being a, um, a 14 and a 15 because um, if I look at this year, we had, you know you had Bodie um, who covered up who covered 15, so you need you need to be able to have the the position to play to play a winger, but then again, you still want to have the ability to be known as a, as a fullback. So, I think it's traditionally you know happened. You know, you look at Bender; um, he was a you know a world class fullback, but you know, he ended up being on the wing because Dagger would end up playing a fullback. So, um, it's it's happened a lot, and I guess it's a it's a transition for you know for young fellas coming through to have an understanding. Yep, if you're a fullback, it's great to have that um, that winger tag as well, and especially to be. Versatile in an All Blacks team where you can play two positions, um, it helps. But you know we're pretty fortunate at the Crusaders where we've got Davy. Um, he's great. He's a great forward for us and brings you know probably something a little bit different to Will and Will brings something different to Davy. So for me personally, selfishly, I love having both of them in the team at the same time. So um, you know it brings competition within the team and um, it brings the best out of Davy. It brings the best out of Will and um, you know Sibu's there as well. He'll be on the wing. So. Um, it just adds competition um, for our team. So I think, well, if you can continue to keep playing full week and win, which you probably will, um, you know, it'll be great for him going forward in this future. With all of the points that were scored and all of the impressive kicking games and, and attacking games that the All Blacks brought through against Argentina, Argentina did make 10 changes to that side. It was very much not their top team. And it's their top team hasn't beaten the All Blacks before this year. You know, so to put that down to their second team to give it a crack, seems a bit tough. What do we read into that side of this uh, game? I think it's unfair to say second team. Like, they, it was their third big test in a row. Um, you know, like they had, they have built a strong enough squad through you know the Hagararis and, and obviously other parts of the world to do this. And, and they weren't, um, I suppose, changing it with debutantes or guys that haven't performed at international level. But I, I don't think they've been the same side since Cabelli's been missing. Uh, I mean, Bryn can allude to that more than than myself, but I just don't think their attacking nature and their ability to play has been there since he um, won that All Blacks test and then hasn't played since. So mm. I think that's been a big catalyst. I, I think they had a really strong set-piece scrum and they changed both the the big boys up front, and maybe that could have been an area um, and and you know almost line-out time as well. There might have been some decisions there, but I think the bulk. And the core of the squad was still there to do the to the job, uh, but I think the All Blacks. Yeah, we've spoken about um, you know their attacking game, their attacking kicking game, but a lot of their success was based off the back of defence and, mm. and their defensive pressure and, and and getting reward off that after sapping the energy through that attack. So uh, just like when 
Argentina won, you wanted to look at why they were successful and, and, and not gloss over the fact that they performed really well. I think it's very similar here. I just think the All Blacks didn't allow them to play, didn't allow them to get into their game plan, and they came up with a game plan that just sapped all their energy out of them. They couldn't find a way out of it, and they were disciplined. So they didn't piggyback them out of their territory. The All Blacks controlled their discipline, so they couldn't kick uh, penalty goals or exit out of their territory and then march up the field and get another penalty goal and build pressure through scoreboard pressure. With that in mind, and the fact that they did improve over the last three weeks, let's let's get the uh, the marking pens out. Brent, let's start with you. You know, a fifty percent win record in twenty twenty, but a couple of very high points, a very strong performance against Australia once before losing two, and then a very strong performance against Argentina. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How does this year grade for you? Let's say on an A, B, C, D um, <laughs> school marking scale. I'll probably give them, probably give them a, B, a B minus. Um, and I think that just comes back to, um, you know, result, it comes back to results. Um, look, I think, you know, we probably finished the year in the way we probably wanted to start. And look, a 38-0 result against the team that we lost previously. Um, Funnily enough, uh, I've gone a B minus yeah. as well. And I think because for everything that has happened, if you look at tries scored by the All Blacks, 16, conceded four. So I think defensively they've shown a lot of metal. And yeah, they haven't got it right um, you know, through scoreboard pressure at times and that's cost a couple of tests and maybe a little bit of you know discipline with red cards and things like that. But I think as a whole, to score 16, concede four is a really strong place when you look at the other two teams that are in the championship. But Argy, they've scored one try, seven conceded. Aussie have scored three, nine conceded. I know they've got a game in hand, so that might adjust, but I don't think they're going to get on a positive um, outlook like uh, the 16-4 of the All Blacks. And I, I think a B- minus is, is really fair because we've got the Bledisloe, yep. and I believe we'll have the Tri-Nations um, as well. They've got one hand on it after this weekend's game, but I certainly think uh, they'll, they'll, they'll have that. And I think two trophies were up for grabs, and they've got two. For an All Black standard, no, it's not an A plus year, but it's a B B minus for me, and um, I think based on those stats alone, and I think they should be really happy with some of the growth of the new players that have brought in, um, and where it sets them up for 2023. Do you think Ian Foster will be thinking, thinking the same way? I think so, because I think they, uh, he he'll probably be a little bit harder on himself. I I don't, I don't know, but I, I just think when you look at the whole year um, as a whole and and how it's been mixed and matched and it's just, it hasn't been as smooth sailing and, you know, the All Blacks beast is such a slick operation. 
COVID hasn't allowed it always to be um, as slick as it has been in the past. So through those trying times, and I think at the end of the day, you know, we talk about outcomes, they've got the trophies. Yes, they lost two games and they've run at 50% or whatever. It doesn't really bother me. They've got the silverware. You know, it's just like if, if, if I was to win Super Rugby with the Blues and we won it at 50-50, I, I wouldn't even remember that. I've yeah. got the trophy. And, and I think it's the same in this situation. The public are a very hard marker on the All Blacks. You know, they, they expect A-plus all the time. Um, but when you look at the progress made with the way that they stepped up in this game, the public should be probably, you know, throwing them a bone a little bit as well. Yeah, and I, look, I think the All Blacks would expect A++++ every mm. time they go on the field. They won't get it, but they, they're probably a harder marker than the public, believe it or not. They won't probably come out publicly and be that hard on themselves, but internally when they go into reviews, they'll be ruthless. So that needs to be acknowledged. And I think also like the public will accept that that was a response to say, yeah, we got it wrong, I hope you enjoyed it. Mm. And, and, I, and I hope they did for what, for what it was and, and not to get caught up in the tactics because it was a test match and as I said, chess versus checkers and, and they won the chess match and got the checkmate pretty comfortably at 38-0. The same response has actually been coming out of the Northern Hemisphere about defences and, and kick chase and constant kicking. Um, if, if the case is that the public aren't enjoying that style of game, what is the solution for rugby? Is it to carry on in the same way or is it to make changes to please and appease the public will? No, I think the game will always evolve. Like it'll, Teams will work out how to play um, you know, off the back of kicking, so then kicking won't become such a threat. But the way defences run at the moment at international level and super rugby level and premiership level, you have to break it down. You have to break that defence down to create opportunities. So. Uh, that's the way defences are run. Defences will change, they'll become an innovation in that, and then attacks will have to adjust because you can only attack what the defence gives you, and, and, that, and, and then it comes down to option taking of what's right in front of you. So I, I think there's a difference between a kicking game territory based and a kicking game attacking. And look, I'm not all for territory based kicking, but I'm a big believer in contestable and attacking kick. It is pretty exciting to see those balls go out wide to Geordie Barrett. You know, they're not Absolutely. always going to hit the mark. But also, but... it takes a hell of a skill set to get up in the air and, and um, attack the ball and get it back for your team. There's a lot of work for forwards that do to escort and, and make sure that they, they don't get the ball back. You know, it's a big part of the game that's trained a hell of a lot more than probably people consider. Mm. And the bounce of the rugby ball is one of the great things about this game. Oh, absolutely. You know, you never know. And if you find Grasperin, you never know what will happen. It takes a, um, a tremendous amount of skill to, to execute those kicks. You know, you think about the ones for, um, you know, we've seen Richie do it in time, Bodie as well, and Geordie getting up for it in the air, Will, and you know, a lot of wingers getting, um, getting up for it. So it takes a massive skill set. And, you know, Jim, I'm really happy you said that it takes, um, this is what, it, it takes uh, moments to break down teams. You know, the, in the introduction of, of attacking kicks, you know, there's, there's so much difference when it comes to, you know, kicking long for territory and, um, and kicking it long, especially in like kick battles, but attacking kicks and the skill set that men have to have to be able to do that, um, I think it's the, the way moving forward. But it'll change. It'll change. You know, of course, teams will figure out. Teams will figure out how to um, how to break down um, defenses. You know, there might be a rule change. You know, we've seen the jackal rule um, change in time. So look, there'll be rules that will change it, or someone will figure out something to to nullify it. So. Um, yeah, I just think it's the way it's the way probably it's going to happen in the next probably you know 12 to 24 months unless there's a rule change or 
someone figures out um, something drastically to, to, to try and beat defences. But you just got to look at it as well. Like you go back to '96 when Jeff Wilson and, and Kelly are doing chip and chases. Like you hardly ever see a chip and chase now because everyone adjusted to you know having the winger up and the fullback and that pendulum work of that backfield. You know your halfback can cover that sometimes as well. So then attacks adjusted because defence is adjusted. So it's it's again it's a, like it's it's never going to be played the same way. And then we've got so many smart minds out there that'll be going right. Okay, that's that's a pretty good kicking game. How can we use that to our advantage? You know, Argentina might stop putting their nine in their line defensively, which will then take that space away. Things like that, they might just have to adjust defensively, which then will create other opportunities with with attacking ball in hand. But we're talking about real physical athletes that are primed and fit. And, and, and want to put it all out there. And, and it does take 40 to 60 minutes to, to start see who's got the biggest engine, who's got the biggest tank to keep going, and how have you manipulated to set the energy from the opposition to create opportunity. And that's all we saw. I, it was a great test match. It was yeah. a perfect, I think, uh, ad, advert for test match footy. And that hasn't changed, you know, whether it's super rugby or test level. You, it is a war of attrition in the most part, especially when you look at Super Rugby Aotearoa. Like, mm. the amount of games which came down to that last 20 minutes, which could have gone either way, almost every single one of them. Oh, easily. But it's also, like, that war of attrition of squad as well. Like, in, in Super Rugby Aotearoa, who, whose squad can survive? Mm. Who's, who's getting the most injury? Who's, whose players can slip in and it doesn't look any different? It's the same for Argy. That may be something that they need to grow is like, okay, well, we need to create an environment where the next person slips in and it doesn't adjust. It doesn't change too much. And, you know, the All Blacks have used a lot of their squad. So it's, uh, they're just building a nucleus so that, you know, if, if one falls over closer to World Cup time, well, they've got some experience under the belt and they can slip back in. This seems to be something the Crusaders have done very well. You guys bring in rookies for like 100 test veterans and nothing changes. Yeah, well, we're pretty lucky that we've got a, um, a pretty good academy system down there and um, you know, pretty early on in their, in their career, once they, once they go into the academy, you know, Crusaders Academy, they'll, they'll be in and around our environment. Um, your academy boys, apprentices, they'll, they'll come and be training with us. So they've got a really good understanding of what, of what Super Rugby looks like. And, and look, when you're in our trainings and you know, you're in our meetings and you're getting asked questions by coaches and um, you have an understanding of how we play, then when they come in, you know, I look at the likes, you know, look who's an example, like Kelly. I look at Kelly, for example, you know, last year, he was um, in our apprentice program, came in for that whole year, didn't play, didn't play at all, but had learned everything around our structures, around how you um, hold yourself as a Crusaders person. And so when he came in this year, it was just like he'd been here the whole time. So it's really easy for, um, for guys like that when you've got a good understanding around what the environment's like, what it, how you run it. So when you come in, it's just really easy. It's seamless. And I look at the All Blacks, for example. You know, we've done it for years. And you look at the guys that come in really young. Um, they have a good understanding. And when they're ready to play through not only the leaders, but the coaching staff and the structures, they play They play really well from the get-go. Um, so I think having plans in place like that are, are great. And, you know, we're pretty lucky that we do it pretty well. And, and I think the All Blacks do that really well as well. What about the World Player of the Year nomination as far as the All Blacks are concerned? Is there a player that's come out of this season in such good stead that they're up for World Player of the Year, do you think? Oh, there is for me. Um, I think a consistent would be Anton Leonard-Brown. He, he's, he's been consistently performing well in, in the test matches, but to me there's only one guy and it's the skip. I just think Sam Kane's just been an absolute warrior and a beast. Um, I think captaincy's really 
brought the best out of him and, and he's just led from the front defensively, attacking-wise um, and, you know, in a new role, I think um, sometimes, you know, you can sometimes see performances waver. I think his performances have skyrocket, skyrocketed with those roles and a little bit of a quiet achiever um, and, and that's what you probably want in, in that seven role. He just gets the business done, rolls his sleeves up. So I think if there was to be a nomination, those two boys would have to be up there. Brent? Yeah, I'd go, I'd probably just go Sam Kane if I'm being honest. Um, I think some other players have had, um, had good spurts, um, but I think if we're talking around consistency around um, test matches um, that we've played this year, yeah, I think Sammy um, lives up to that. And I think to be a world player of the year, you've got to consistently play well and, <clears throat> and reach the levels of that every single time you play um, in a test match. And look, I think the biggest thing as well, he's shown a great form of leadership. Um, you know, he's had a lot of um, a lot of heat in the media, and um, you know, I think on the weekend showed um, his leadership in um, not only him but the coaching staff and the leaders around him. So, but I think for yeah, we'll play the. I'd probably go Sammy. He'd probably be the only one that I'd pick from um, from the All Blacks who's shown a lot of consistency and played really well this year. Now it is awards season uh, right now, and the scucks of the year could be one of the things that comes really importantly out of this episode of Aotearoa Rugby Pod. The scucks of the year brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is a tool, a bunch of tools, cleansing products, shaving products, moisturising products to help a man look after all of the places, including downstairs that you need to look after, keep safe and, uh, and looking nice and trim. <laughs> Manscaped. Lawnmower 3.0 is the latest tool. You've got to go out there and, and have a look at it. Keeping upstairs looking nice and trim is important as well. Chipper, who is the most scucks, most often clean-shaven, haircut, always done beautifully, man, for you in New Zealand rugby? Oh, well, obviously I'm going to go for someone at the Blues. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of nominations. You know, you, you've got Aki and Patty who did the hair dye and, and sort of followed that trend and you've got Tom Robinson who really looks after his, his mm. locks and, and you know, he likes to take uh, care of himself. You've got Sammy Knock running in and around there, but I think one man that is just meticulous and I think we've seen it in a number of hair dyes and the, the manicured beard and uh, you know, loves getting his t-shirt off on uh, Instagram and getting the rig out is, is Rico Ioani. Mm. So for me, uh, Reeks uh, takes the Skucks of the Year award. Skucks of the Year. What about for you, Brent? Arguably should be up for the Manscaped Skucks of the Year himself, Bryn Hall. Uh, who are you putting up for this Skucks of the Year? Look, I'm going for George Bridge. Um, look, I've seen him without a shirt on. The wonders of modern technology, have, uh, we've lost Bryn again. But uh, has Manscaped Man of the Year, George Bridge? Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's a big fan of Bridgie. So um, he, he just mentioned there... Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to edit him, but he said he shaves from everything from the neck down, so he's he's well manicured by the sounds of things. So he'd probably have to take the cake. He probably gets the the award uh, based on that yeah, effort 100%. and yeah. attention to detail. Yeah, get that man a manscaped lawnmower 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be plenty of detailing being done. Yeah, well, he'll make his life easier, I'd say. <laughs> and you can get 20% off if you use the code RUGBY. You'll also get free shipping. Go to the Manscaped website and you'll, uh, you'll find all of those things. So what about next year's up-and-coming player? Who's the person you're looking out for that, that could make it all the way to the All Blacks? I think, um, well, he's already in the All Blacks, but... I, um... 
you know, sort of touched on, Bryn touched on, is, is Cullen Grace. I think, you know, he's had a really strong year. A couple of injuries probably slowed him down a little bit and, you know, he managed to slip into the ABs. But, you know, that loose forward trio spot's becoming hot hot property at the moment. And, and I think if he can back it up with a really good year, you know, because he won't be the unknown mm. um, going into the Super Rugby uh, Aotearoa and then obviously with, with Aussie as well. So... Um, you know, it's a big year for him to backing backing it up when you know everyone will be watching tape and, and judging uh, from what they saw last year. So it, look, he's he's definitely a raw talent, um, and he, you know he's only going to get better with age. But I think another season under his belt, he could be a real force in that loose forward trio. Yeah, there were some really good players coming up through uh, Minor Ten Cup this year as well. Uh, what did you make of Tasman taking out that win on the weekend? <laughs> oh, I was gutted because I'd uh, probably pumped Auckland up too much, and uh, you know. I suppose the, the irony is is uh, the set piece that I was so confident that Auckland were going to deliver, it, it failed for them. You know, line-out time, they're running, you know, a 8 out of 13 and scrum time, a few penalties. And, and Tasman, on the other hand, Quinton Strange, you know, there's a reason he's been called into the All Blacks, um, is, is his ability. He, he was clean on their ball, played at tempo, but also they stole a lot of Auckland's ball and they're strong at, at scrum time, um, an ex-Auckland Man and um, Isi Tuonga Fassi was pretty impressive in a Tasman jersey. So uh, I, I think um, the set piece won it, but also their relentless nature in the defence. They they really rushed up and it didn't allow that ball to get to Ray, Ray Arcee and AJ Lamb and put you know Simon Hickey and Harry Plummer under pressure. And they had to step in a lot of times and they normally step back into Harvelli and Renton and <coughs> sorry, excuse me. And that's when you know, we spoke about the importance of the breakdown. And I thought Renton Harvelli. Um, that's Sione Havili, but also David Havili mm. came up with key turnovers at key times, whereas Auckland actually won more breakdown turnovers, but they weren't at such crucial times. Um, Tasman had got a lot of theirs when Auckland were hot on attack in the 22. Uh, you have to credit Auckland's ability to still be in the game and have the ability to win it when they'd had two yellow cards. They had no functioning um, you know, set piece, and they were really playing on the back foot the whole game. It shows that they probably were the better team on paper and, and throughout the year. But on the day, they just couldn't execute their skills under pressure and Tasman were too good. Mm, that drop goal went wide. It could have been a different oh, story. I know. I really wanted to see it go over. And, uh, you know, you, you, he looked pretty calm and confident under it. But uh, maybe a little bit too early, do you think? At 77 minutes, 78 minutes, I thought they could have maybe charged their arm a little bit to try and score points. Mm. But they hadn't broken down that defence, um, you know, as much as they'd like. And, you know, to be kept, I suppose, trialless when Auckland have just scored multiple tries against everyone... Um, you know, we said they're both the two best defensive teams on the day and, you know, Tasman had the better of the defence, um, a lot less missed tackles um, and, a, and a cleaner percentage there. So defence wins championships and it backs it up mm. again. They were probably well aware that they'd given away a few turnovers and you, you have to make the most of your spot and they were in a perfect spot for the droppy. You know, they took a few phases and, and, and Simon Hickey was sitting back in that pocket, wasn't he, for, for a little while. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I suppose... If you have been aware of the fact that you've turned over some ball in their 22 along the way, you probably don't want to be mucking around too much. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think you're right. You know, Renton had got one, Sione Havili had got one, and, and Davy Havili had got one only minutes earlier before they got back down there. So, look, I agree. Like, I, I just was thought could have chanced their arm a little bit more, but he probably, as you say, wasn't confident in, in the collisions area um, and look not to be uh, pretty pretty gutting for them but uh, pretty impressive for Tasman going back to back it's um, not easily done I think they're the only second team to do it. And pretty gutting to lose Bryn Hall off the big screen as well because he called it. Oh he did and I'm pretty happy that he's not here because I wouldn't <laughs> be hearing the end of it 
But, um, you know, he did say they'll find a way, and they certainly did. They, they showed a lot of character, and I spoke about their leaders last week and the character they showed to fight their way to the final, and they continued that fight on and, and got the job done. And in the other game, I mean, Hawks Bay... What can you say about Hawks Bay? They've done so well. Yeah, well, Northland were in it, weren't they? And, and they really fought hard at 17 all at half time. But then that the minutes 40 to 51, where where uh, Hawks Bay scored two converted uh, converted tries, and and they sort of bounced out to a lead, and then Ash Dixon scored one about six or seven minutes later. I think their finals experience. You know, they've had a lot of um, times they've gone to the championship final and fallen short, um, and I think that experience, their experience, and their pack. Um, and I suppose just their accuracy, I felt like Northland wanted it. They wanted it so much that they gave away a few silly penalties. I think uh, if I look here, the penalty count was 12-5. Uh, so 12 um, to, to Northland and, and only 5 to, to Hawke's Bay. So Hawke's Bay just didn't give them much to live off and, and Northland gave Hawke's Bay plenty to live off. And, and that, that sort of first 20 minutes after halftime was the making of breaking that game. Great fighters, Northland. But I think the, the rightful champions won on the night. It would be a pity to lose that game if next year they were to get rid of the Premiership Championship structure because it was a good game to watch. The semis and the finals of the championship keep so many people within New Zealand rugby interested when you know they could fall by the wayside with two weeks to go in the competition. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think, but with the if they go to the two pools, it's, it's going to create a real north versus south uh, rivalry, which I, I think will have a similar... A passion and, and understanding of you know even though w when um, whoever wins the north final and whoever wins the south final I think all those regions will get behind to see the north team win or the mm. south team win do you know what I mean I still think there's a real um, adage for if they do go down that route if they keep it at this route I, I think it's good as well I think it's been the um, best minor 10 cup and, and the best um, I suppose advert for both the premiership and championship um, you know, pools that, that there's ever been. So in a pretty funny year, it's been an exceptional competition. Yeah, if it's working, don't change it. I think along the way, rugby has made its mistakes of constantly changing instead of sticking to a competition that is consistent and understandable and people have gotten used to. And we've got to a point now where the have-nots are as enjoyable to watch as the haves, and, and that's working. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, it has to... Uh, be affordable, doesn't it? And we all want um, our Mitre 10 Cup to stay around. So I think the powers that be have got to make some decisions around finances. And if if, if the finances say that, you know, we've got to cut down on travel costs and this is a way that we can keep all 14 teams alive and playing the game we love because everyone loves Mitre 10 Cup, for me, I, I just want it to survive. So whatever it looks like, uh, I'm, all, I'm all on for, for jumping into it. We need a big benefactor. We need someone <laughs> just to drop some cash. Yeah, well, you never know, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, but it has been a wonderful year of rugby as far as that's concerned. Oh, I just, it ha it, honestly, in, in a crazy year, it's just been an exceptional, entertaining uh, brand of footy the whole way through. And, uh, you know, as a player and as a fan, just feel so fortunate to be able to do the, you know, do our job um, and entertain our, our fans and, and, and I suppose our, our stakeholders alike. Um, throughout the year, it's been uh, pretty exceptional. And, and I think everyone's really got back to loving the game of footy and, and, and all for the right reasons. There is still one really important game to go, though. Yes. <laughs> one very important <laughs> game, Australia versus Argentina. Yes, oh, and, the, and the Pacifica, uh, well, Moana Pacifica yes, and New Zealand yes. Māori. But um, uh, I think with the commanding performance that the All Blacks put on and, and there's not so much, like if they'd just won and, and it was based on bonus points, 
Uh, I think Australia have a lot to lose and Argentina have plenty to gain um, going into their fourth big test. If they can pick up a win, I think they're, they're, that'll be a massive finish to their tour. If they get beaten comfortably, then maybe it's not as um, powerful and then they maybe do need to look at their depth and their ability because in a World Cup, you've got to win seven big test matches. Mm. You know, So you've got to have that ability to go the distance and use your squad. Then the Wallabies, you know, they've beaten the All Blacks, they've had a draw against the All Blacks, they've had a draw against RG. Uh, I think you know they really need to win this test um, to, to make it feel like they've progressed and, and they're, they're on the right track to where they want to go. And, and you want to see the shifts in their game plan that we saw in the All Blacks game plan to break down the Argentinian defence. Hmm. They've also got the uncertainty of next year for them as well. They don't have the same kind of competition laid out the way that we do. It's going to be difficult for them to you know to build on something that has been growing over the last four or five years as far as the Juarez and, and the Pumas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully they, I think we just need to get probably to the end of this year, take stock, and you just know that no one wants to see that die. Mm. So there'll be a lot of work going in behind the scenes to make sure that they have something to function because it's shown their experience um, in Super Rugby has given them the ability and belief to to compete at international level. And, and now I think that is complete with the, the Test match win against the All Blacks. And now it's not so much of a stigma. There'll, there'll be more of a focus on just maybe playing and taking the emotion out of it and trying to get into that international chess match battle week in, week out, not just one-off you know, spikes of emotion. It has to you know, get that consistency across the game. They might also benefit, though, from not having that long Super Rugby season where they're constantly on the road, and that's a pretty tiring old thing. We saw the freshness, I suppose, that they came in with into this series that allowed them to be as successful as they were. Oh, absolutely. They probably benefited this year, but you wouldn't want to... Uh, believe you could benefit on that for a number of years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you need to be playing footy to be good at footy. It's it's like anything. If you just walk away from playing golf for two months, you're not going to be as good as you were. So you, you know, to be a good rugby player, you have to be playing rugby. I'd argue that point. I always <laughs> play my best game in the first game back, and then it turns to. So shit. that's what I'm saying. That's a spike. <laughs> we need that consistency, and the only way you can get consistency is by playing and and doing yeah. it week in week out. Consistently in the rough. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you're consistently there, you're consistent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What about the uh, Māori All Blacks versus Moana Pacifica? I would have thought Moana Pacifica go in as slight favourites with the names on I, paper. I would have. I, I definitely would think that maybe on on paper. And um, you know, I, I said I spoke to Tana, and he really wants to make it about um, who they're playing for, what they're playing um, for, and you know, but enjoying the week um, and, and connecting as a group and. Not so much a barbarian style, but a little bit of a barbarian style. But then I, you know, the opposite of, has come out of the the Maldives camp, and and the fact that you know Tony Brown said, no, no, we're all business. It's a test match. Uh, it's going to be physical. There's not going to be helter scouter throwing the ball around. We're going to be direct carries early. We're going to really set a platform and do exactly what we said the All Blacks did: is try and manipulate the defence to open up opportunities for them late in the game. So uh, there hasn't been too much coming out of the Moana Pacifica camp, which would make me a little bit. Um, nervous uh, for the for the Maldives, but I think what's coming out of the Maldives camp is uh, pretty powerful, and, and they really want to represent what they're about and who they're playing for in a, in a really physical and dominant performance. So it sets it up for an exciting fixture because I think the, the Moana Pacifica want to play, and I think the Maldives want to set a set a standard for them in, in, in their twenty. 20 season. And hopefully we can set a wonderful standard by having a great game and see this fixture become a consistent element. Yeah, oh look, uh, absolutely. Uh, but again, I just think 
after this year and the work that's gone on behind the scenes, I just hope the people that have been uh, behind the scenes, you know, just take stock, give themselves a pat on the back, have a little bit of a break and then build towards 2021 from there. So it has been a hard year like that. The people behind the scenes at New Zealand Rugby, at Sky, at all these places, Massive. constant changes to try to make things work logistically, to try to make sure that people are in jobs, that people have rugby to watch. Mm. You know, it's been a tough year all round and, and they've come out of it really well. And I think that's why I want to keep acknowledging it because they've gone above and beyond to allow us to play, but provide a product to, to our fans and, and, and promote our game in such a positive light. Um, and as you say, all across the ball, Sky, NZR, NZRPA, um, all of them have worked really hard. All the unions um, and, and their boards, um, you, know, the, you know, struggling times and we've managed to put out a product and, and teams week in, week out, uh, when allowed by the government, pretty successfully, I believe. Mm, the players have taken sacrifices too, pay cuts and things like that to get by, you know. Yeah. That's, yep. not, that's not easy. <laughs> Your finances are planned well in advance. You can't just do that, you know. People, I don't think, necessarily understand that the players have made quite a big sacrifice there too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We, we have. There's no doubt. We've, uh, we're still um, at, at a pay cut pay, and um, but that's part of the beast. And... Uh, you know, our main focus after after lockdown is making sure that we provide an entertaining product that people wanted to turn up to, and I think we've done that. And looking next year at Super Rugby Aotearoa, people will be hanging on that. Yeah, absolutely. And now we've got to back it up. You know, we have a massive preseason. We get a you know a short break, but we're back into it on, on Jan six, I think. Um, all super teams and all vying for that trophy again, and then vying for the one but, uh, between the Trans Tasman. So it's it's about the preparation and making sure that we turn up on day one and great conditions so that we can provide that product again because I think um, you know the lockdown showed that where you could push yourself and, and, and your body uh, with limited resources so I think that's exciting for where we can go to uh, leading into pre-season.